Hey y'all, welcome back to a, another episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast, the Wednesday, April 27th, 2022 edition here on the Chase Thomas Podcast, uh, where I am still the aforementioned Chase Thomas coming to you live from Knoxville, Tennessee. Uh, jam-packed show for you guys today, per usual here on this very program. Uh, first, uh, we got Lauren Gunn uh, of Math- Mavs Moneyball to return to the podcast, different time than... Uh, than usual, uh, not the NBA Sunday shoot around with uh, Corbin Ford uh, on this edition, but um, hopefully we're able to do that again soon. Uh, very much enjoyed uh, those Sunday pods, but uh, Lauren was great here on the podcast. Talk about the Mavs, Luca, what's going on in that Mavs Jazz series, early uh, playoff series thoughts, Ben Simmons, um, Memphis, Minnesota, all that and more uh, with Lauren to kick things off, and then we have the return of my good friend Fangraphs John Taylor to talk all things Major League Baseball, uh, what uh, John's learned through three weeks in the Major League Baseball season thus far, if the Yankees are in trouble, the amazing Angel Hernandez, Kyle Schwarber uh, showdown this week, uh, Michael Conforto being lost for the season, and then uh, a really good piece in Fangraphs on bigger bullpens this year and why uh, offense might be down for the foreseeable future in Major League Baseball. So, all that and more coming up on this edition of the Chase Most Podcast. Go check out uh, sportsrenaissanceman.substack.com. Uh, That's me, Sports Renaissance Man. Uh, check out all my writing. I wrote about uh, Tennessee yesterday. Uh, let's see. What did I do yesterday? See, I should probably put this in front of me. Oh, right. Uh, the Vols trolling the Gators over the weekend uh, with some Tennessee baseball players rocking the, uh, the old Florida uh, white helmets and some Gator players did not take kindly to that. So I wrote about that and rivalries and how that's changing over the years, but uh, it was a fun little piece. And then got several things coming out today here on the Wednesday uh, edition of the Sports Renaissance Man newsletter, so go look out for that because Tennessee just beat the beat the brakes off the Xavier Musketeers on Tuesday night, so uh, probably look out for some words there and some exciting news on how I'm going to approach that and the number one uh, team in the nation. People forget uh, that the University of Tennessee and our athletic department is an everything school. People forget that, uh, but they do not forget that on the Chase Holmes podcast now. Uh, Rocky Top, and uh, shout out to the number one team in the nation for what feels like the billionth week in a row, but embrace it. It's great, and it's quite enjoyable, and I'm not complaining. Uh, don't forget, folks, you can also watch this very program on YouTube. Go to youtube.com, type in the Chase Thomas Podcast. That simple, that easy, and uh, if you'd prefer to watch the program, you can do so that easy. Um, I've said that easy a lot. Follow me on Twitter at Chase underscore Thomas. Like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash chase thomas writer and uh yeah all right uncle darren how'd i do chase thomas podcast the chase thomas podcast um my nephew needs me to record see i hate i already hate it i hate it all right we're back here on the chase thomas podcast where i am just so so happy that john taylor of fangraphs.com is back with me on this very edition of the chase thomas podcast we're a few weeks away um, John, it is great to see you back on my computer screen. How are you, sir? I'm doing good. I forgot where I've already I've done I've been away so long I've forgotten where to look like when I like when I'm not talking. You know the thing when you're on a if you're on like a video for something you're not talking, you don't just want to look like you're just staring off into the distance, but it's like, oh wait, where am I supposed to look to make it, you know t- I'm out of practice. I'm rusty right now. I'm I'm very 
I, I need to get my reps in. I'm, I'm like every I'm like every MLB hitter. I need to get I need to get my at bats right now. I'm still I'm still cold. I'm still rusty. That's okay, John. That is okay because that's what this podcast well, is you. here for is to to is batting practice. And, okay, yeah, this is batting practice for the real. <laughs> this thing. is hey, spring the, training. <laughs> the ten thousand hour rule, John, is we just keep getting those reps in, and uh, then eventually we're the best baseball podcasters out there. Um, it is so we only have to do that. like ninety nine hundred more of these episodes. <laughs> well, I'm closing in on a thousand. So okay, well there you go. I, I'm the one who's just way behind at this point. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to lie, John, part of uh, what, when you really keep up with something and you keep doing something, you're like, well, I've already put in the hours, so what am I going to do? What am I going to do with these hours that I've already put in? Just you uh, throw them away. You just, you just throw them away and do something else now. It's way yeah, easier that, that way. You just you say, fuck it, I don't care. There you go. <laughs> That's the American way. <laughs> We're singing on this show now. It is kind of jarring, though, to have the New York skyline with the, the bright sun behind you. Yeah, you got some real glare going. If I lean over a little bit and block the sun out temporarily, when I lean back, you can briefly see it before the camera readjusts to the light. So I'm just going to keep doing that over and over again mm-hmm. just to just to annoy thoroughly anyone who happens to be watching this. Yeah, there you go. John Taylor, it's time for... The national pastime in baseball history. Are you ready for today's installment? Always. I'm always ready for this this unique look into baseball past. I love this site. I have no business loving nationalpastime.com as much as I do, but I really <laughs> do, John. Um, it's a good site, it seems like. They, they have we- they have funny stories and weird stories. That's, they do. It's really all you want out of baseball history is funny stories. Correct. Because I feel like baseball, more than any other professional sport, has more insane stories. I think it's not even really close. If you really go back in time and you're just like, the, the names, the stories, everything about uh, Major League Baseball uh, over a century ago is just preposterous. And yeah. And that's, I mean, that's just a part of just having a history that's now 140 years long and existing during some of the weirdest times in American history. So, entirely so. Well, John, today in baseball history, 1904, April 26th, quote, at the age of 17, Ty Cobb makes his pro baseball debut, hitting a homer and a double for Augusta in the South Atlantic League. The Taurus is what they were called. What a name. The Taurus. Oh, I thought you were saying that I thought they were saying that Ty Cobb was a Taurus. And I'm like, I, I know like I know like the 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 astrology stuff is is all the rage right now, but it's like I don't really think that tells us anything about Ty Cobb that we probably mm-hmm. didn't already know. But go on. Yeah, no. The Taurist is the actual team name. Some people get upset. Okay. Like, oh, Guardians, what is that? There's a team called the Taurus at one point. The Taurus, however, will release the Georgia Peach two days into the season. Two days into the season. So that, that to me suggests he, like, assaulted someone, which, given that this is Ty Cobb, like, that's my general assumption anyway, is that he assaulted yeah. someone. 1904. But God, God bless... Uh, God bless early 20th century baseball where guys could just like, just, that's the thing that just happened. Here's a 17 year old future Hall of Famer. He's going to play two games for our team randomly in in Augusta, Georgia for this mm-hmm. crappy team name. And then two days later, he's just gone. Yeah. It's it's like every box score in early 20th century baseball. It's like there's a, and like, I guess this is still the thing nowadays. There's still plenty of guys who not necessarily are moonlight Graham, but you know, they don't mm-hmm. hang around very long. 
but any 20th century box score, if you can find early 20, if you can find one that actually has any accuracy, is like the number of names you see there that you will see once or twice and then never again. It's just it, there's so many guys who just floated in and out of the sport back before it had any real rich that's the kind of stuff that happens you random 17 year old Ty Cobb playing two games for a South Atlantic League team in the middle of 1904 I, I love it it's like that's that's, that's the was. weird shit that happens in baseball it's just baseball was just a yes. goofy like barely organized bit of silliness and then suddenly it's become a 10 billion dollar game where like of, of like life and death import it, it's very funny to me I guess that's true of every sport now at this point but well, I have another one for you. Okay. This is the rare two-parter, because I feel like I need to throw this one out, because this is just... I ha- I was going back and forth between these two, and I didn't know which one to go with. Okay. April 26th, 1931. Quote, At Washington's Griffith Stadium, Lou Gehrig smashes an apparent home run over the fence, but when the ball bounces back to center field, uh, t- to center fielder Harry Rice, base runner Lynn Larry, what a name, Lynn Larry who thinks the fly ball is the third out, returns to the dugout without crossing home plate. The Yankees' first baseman, trotting around the bases with his head down in his usual modest manner, is ruled out for passing a runner being credited only with a triple. Again, this is so stupid. It's just like... like, The kind of mistakes that happen in baseball I love, too, (laughs) because they're just, like, gentle... Like, they're just these very, like, innocent errors of just, like, I just forgot how many outs there were. I literally just forgot... In this game where there are three outs and there are always three outs, I've just while I'm on base, I'm like, oh, was that second or th- eh, it doesn't matter. I'm just going back to the dugout. Like, yeah, I, I love that. I and I love too that baseball has the kind of legalese and rules where it's you can be still credited with a hit while also being recorded out for having passed a base runner, even if the base runner was the one who made a mistake. Correct. That's the thing that kills me, too. It's like Lou Gehrig lost a home run because someone else wasn't paying attention. And the entire recourse around the stadium was just for everyone to go, eh, that's just what do you want to do? Shit happens. Like baseball is the most shit happens sport in so many ways. We're just weird things happen. And everyone just kind of goes, um, OK, that that's a thing now, I guess. That's a thing. That is a thing. There's a rule for this, too. But there's always a rule. There's always a rule for what happens in baseball. It's amazing. Um, some of them are unwritten. I don't know if you had heard that before, but there are some unwritten ones. Too many um, unwritten rules, as far as I can tell. John. So why you write them down? Then it wouldn't be a problem anymore. That would be true. Week yes. three is in the books here in the Major League Baseball season. Yes. John, I ask you, what have you learned through three weeks in the Major League Baseball season? Uh, whatever MLB con- has done or continues to do to the baseball has screwed things up again. Mm-hmm. Or at least that's the main takeaway because I think the main takeaway that everyone has right now is nobody is hitting anymore. Yeah. Uh, we got, I just want to look it up now and it's not going to be current because there are already games that have started today. But as of, I guess, well, as of Tuesday morning, the league batting average stood at. Just like hold music while I, while I look at the exact number. But. If you look, I mean, we this is offense at levels we haven't seen in a long, 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 long time. The league as a whole is currently batting. Oh, it's currently batting two thirty one. So mm-hmm. two thirty one batting average, a three oh five weighted on base average, a one hundred weighted runs created plus. I mean, there is no off. Everyone is just a the entirety of baseball two thirty one, three oh seven, three sixty eight. 
that's basically like moderate, like current day Elvis Andrus. The entire league is hitting like current Elvis Andrus, basically. And there are a lot of factors you can that probably you know that are that are part of that. Um, some of it obviously is. Uh, it seems like it's been a colder than usual uh, spring so far in the Northeast and in other parts of the country. And obviously, cold weather you know reduces like reduces offense. I think too, just the fact that we are seeing so many relievers and that pitchers are by and large because they're still being. Uh, I think the majority of them are pretty well stretched out, but you know some of them are still being stretched out. You know we're still not seeing that many pitchers going over 80, 85 pitches yet. So really, we're not seeing and this you know already on top of a league where letting a starter see the order a third time through was you know it was very rare. Now you know we're we're really not you know, guys get two looks at starters and then they get a parade of relievers or they just get a parade of relievers. You know we, I, we it seems like we see so many times now not just bullpen games with openers but games where a starter will pitch two or three innings and then here comes a long relief guy for two or three innings and then here come four more guys to handle the last 12 outs or whatever it's and part of it too is uh, uh you know something that just can't be helped at the because of how this the hitters since spring training was shortened and since it's usually you know the accepted maxim is that uh, pitchers are ready before hitters a lot of hitters mm. probably have not fully kind of gotten into gear yet uh, most hitters end up taking around somewhere like a hundred or so at bats over the course of spring training most of them got maybe half of that this this time around and that's to say nothing of guys like for example trevor story who basically didn't have a spring training you know this right now is is for all intents and purposes spring training so it that alone doesn't surprise me that april is is a slow offensive month right now and april is usually a pretty slow offensive month because again we've got Starters who aren't pitching that much. We've got cold weather, usually around the league. Uh, we've got, you know, everyone is just, just, you know, hitters may not be ready fully yet. But whatever is going on with the baseball, and there clearly is something going on with the baseball. We had two pieces, or there were two pieces that came out today that uh, made that point very clearly. One was over the over on The Athletic from Eno Saris and Ken Rosenthal, noting that the, and I'm, I'm going to get a lot of this probably wrong because I just do not, I'm not a physics guy, but, you know, that the, 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 the balls, uh, the drag for the ball, and Rob Arthur at Baseball Prospectus is the other is the other person who wrote uh, about this, that there is more drag on the ball, it is not carrying as far, and you're seeing it in the stats reflected in things like pulled line drives and pulled fly balls that, you know, are not carrying the distance that they should be, are not, you know, producing the results and ex- that you would expect. Some of that, again, maybe the weather, some of that uh, may just be, you know, degrees of fielding. But I think you're also seeing the end result of this is now year three, four. What, what are we moving on now of we do not know for sure and cannot guarantee that the baseball, the, the, the whole thing at the very center of everything, the, the literal thing with which the sport is played, we cannot guarantee that it is actually standardized in a way that this is not just going to randomly happen. And even beyond this, this isn't going to happen. You know, we've had, we went from juice ball in 2019 to still juice somewhat in 2020 to deadened in 2021, except they ran out of deadened balls halfway through the year because of COVID uh, related uh, production issues and had to dip back into their stock of, of 2020 and 2019 balls. And now we've been told by the league that, you know, this year it's all going to be the same ball. We're not we don't have to get more balls. We're good with the amount of balls we have. We've standardized everything, blah, blah, blah. And to that point, we've added humidors to all the various parks or to every park so that all the balls can be kept at one standard condition, which great. But one, why wasn't this being done before? 
Two, why has the league been so bad about not just ensuring the consistency of the ball, but also telling players and fans about the consistency? Like, the weird secrecy has been held on all of this. And part of it is MLB owns Rawlings, who make the ball. So, you know, they, they can essentially just hide behind that for all intents and purposes. But just the, the way that the league has not been straight about this problem, or about, we can call it a problem, but about this issue for the last four seasons, about what is, like... What have you done to the ball? Why does it behave differently year after year? And why? And like, and in the course of trying to, it, it, it it's funny. In the course of trying to, I think, juice offense in a way, you know, because we, I think we'd reached a point pre twenty nineteen in the late twenty tens where there it did it felt like pitching was becoming overly superior. And I think the league juicing the ball was their attempt to get offense back up except it really only turned into power specifically home runs jumping up while everything else stayed the same so now they felt like okay now we have to go back to a different ball because that ball was too <laughs> that this is the problem they can't find the right now ball. they keep going to two different extremes yeah they, they can't find the right ball they keep going between extremes and now we're at a point where when we try to figure out why is offense down so drastically around the league we can't even necessarily get a clear answer because there are way too many different factors that the league is monkeyed in the humidors yeah. for example which, again, a, probably a good idea to standardize the way balls are stored and kept in various places. But as far as I can understand, and this is a point that was made in, in the Athletic article by Eno and, and Ken, you can't just have the same settings for every humidor, so to speak. Every, every place is different because of, its, because of the weather, because of the humidity, because of the dew point, because of a million other uh, meteorological uh, factors that... It's almost it's like, how do you know how this is going to make an impact? Do you actually know? Has this been studied to any real degree what impact this will have? Because it doesn't really seem like, uh, again, we can't nail down or isolate any one particular thing. And that's part of that is because, there, like I said, there, there are many factors. As there are always many factors in everything. There is no one thing that has is, that is brought offense down. But it, it definitely stands out to me that one of the main reasons into the baseball and the fact that the league uh, keeps making these changes in an attempt to try to swing offense one way or the other. And because of that, you're now seeing unintentional knock-on effects like, well, if we give everyone a humidor, sure, that's going to standardize the ball everywhere, but that's also going to mean in places where it's cold, like Chicago and Boston, and the ball is just going to travel less because there is less moisture in it. Like, these are all things, like, I imagine the consistency of that ball right now in the cold is like trying to hit a billiards ball. Like, and this is something you, like, you can tell, too, when, when players talk about it. They are very clearly frustrated because, again, this is not just, oh, all of a sudden the ball is dead. This is all of a sudden the ball is dead after it was dead last year and then alive and then alive the year before that and juiced the year before that. And we've never been able to get a straight answer from the commissioner or anyone else as to what was done to the ball within the last four years. And are you using a different one? And the only time they actually come out and say it is after the fact to note, yeah, it's a different ball now, but we're totally cool with things. It's it's just weird to me, and like I yeah I don't necessarily think that the lack of offense is like the biggest story in baseball right now. That doesn't really seem fair to all the cool guys doing cool things, but that is definitely the biggest trend around the game right now is that we are just not seeing runs being scored, and we are seeing a total lack of hitting. And if you want to get really uh, in depth into this, Jay Jaffe wrote something for us yeah, uh, last week at Fangraphs really that you should all that people should definitely check out on this topic about hitless baseball. Like we are seeing the lowest, a lower batting average than we did in 1968, the year of the pitcher. Ooh. We're seeing lower batting averages than we did in the dead ball era. Like this is, 
this is a I don't want to call it a crisis because this is just baseball. This is not you, but this is a real problem for Major League Baseball that they cannot get any consistency within their own in-game results. And that's even just beyond the baseball does it. Like, I mean, it's part of it, but it's how can you tr- not necessarily trust, but how can you? Well, yeah, how, to a certain degree, how can you trust a sport where you don't necessarily know what the what the offense is going to be like year after year because of equipment issues? Mm-hmm. You know, this is not a problem that other leagues have. You know, we don't hear about the NFL having issues with substandard footballs or the NBA having an issue with their basketball. I think there was like one year, a long time ago, where the NBA had some basketball issues and they very quickly cleared it back. I remember something where it was like they'd introduce a new ball, but the players didn't like it because it was too it was too dead. It didn't bounce as, as high or as, as strong. It's something I, I might be totally off on that, but I vaguely remember that from my childhood. But either way, like, you know, the NBA, the NHL, the NFL, like they're not having these problems. Why is baseball mm-hmm. continually having these problems? And more importantly, why does major league baseball feel the need to continue monkeying with the ball? If it does not know and cannot guarantee what the outcome is going to be, mm-hmm. you know, like you, you can't just do that. You, you are just screwing. That's the thing. Teams made plans this offseason and spring training assuming one thing with the ball, or at least assuming that they thought they knew what they were going to get. And now that now they're seeing that, you know, now they're seeing something completely different. And that's the thing. It's just unfair to the teams and players in baseball if every single year you have a new issue with the ball itself that keeps screwing up whether or not there's actually offense this year. Yeah, I don't think this gets fixed in Jaffe's pieces about this. I think this is going to be the theme of this major league baseball season is that offense is going to be down and you better have some pitching because if you don't have pitching depth this is not the year for that to be the case no this this is not a this is not going to be a good year for teams to try to slug their way through a season it's just not going to happen because like you said like i don't what is the solution you know if it is an issue with the ball well then that's that out mid middle of the year like that no they're not gonna season thing yeah, that they're just going to say, look, okay, fine, this ball doesn't, you know, maybe this ball can be different, but, you know, do you really want us to do that two months into the season or whatever? Yeah. Um, There's so a I lot think, of deal with it gif going on here. There is, and that's a lot of how MLB treats a lot of things, is just kind of throwing their shoulders up and going, hey, man, that's your problem, not ours. But, I mean, that's the thing, what do you do? Like, there are rules coming that should probably, or rule changes coming that should help offense, I think. Uh, whatever ends up happening with defensive shifts, seem you know, w- with whatever attempts are to to limit or ban those, will, will certainly help. a pitch clock will also probably help in that it will give pitchers less time to uh, you know recover between pitches, and therefore they won't be able to go max effort all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and really, any drop in velocity would be a help, and I think the pitch clock would be would go a long way toward shaving at least uh, a little bit of velocity off where things are now and once rosters uh, contract back down again as you know i think we're going to talk about in the, in the piece of ben clemens wrote yeah. which everyone else should also check out which everyone should also check out about how bigger bullpens are uh, a factor in this too you know once there are fewer relievers around who just all of whom now throw 95 with wipeout sliders you know th- theoretically at least that should make things better. A lot of the stuff, like the, the bullpen aspect, for example, teams are not suddenly going to go back to nine-man bullpens. You know, yeah. like, they're, they're, the rosters are going to be shrunk down to the point where teams are not going to be allowed to roster more than 13 pitchers. But yeah. I imagine pretty much everyone will sit at that 13-pitcher uh, limit. You know, because there's... Most teams don't even have, at this point, three starters who can go five or more innings in one sitting. You know, this is a game now where this... like, And this has been the case, and we, you know, we have talked about it too, but... The, the primacy and supremacy of the starter is disappearing before our eyes 
And in its place, we're now getting more, you know, like I said, these, these two or three inning outings from various different relievers. It, it's not exactly what the what the Rays are doing, but at the same time, the Rays just threw a nine inning no hitter with eight different relievers. You know, like it, the the bullpen game is no longer something is no longer something to be feared by the team using it or no longer something to think like, oh, it, the bullpen game used to be an, oh, crap, we have to do a bullpen game because our starter is hurt or because we just don't have anyone available today. Now it's the bullpen game is just something we do two games out of every seven because yeah. we don't have enough starters, because we longer make enough starters, basically, and because every reliever has throws 95 with a wipeout something or other. I mean, this is the thing when you when you if you read Ben's piece and uh, actually a good companion piece to that uh is Justin Choi's piece on the Orioles bullpen, which we also ran today, which has been far better than expected. But part of what Justin points out that is like, you know, each one of these guys has at least one elite offering in some to some degree or another. Every single person in that bullpen either throws with premium velocity or has a very good secondary of some sort that makes the rest of their pitches look that much better. Everyone. And that's the Orioles bullpen. That was projected to be one of our worst bullpens by by our Fangraphs metrics in the league going into the season. They're one of the top five bullpens right now. And that's not to say that, like, oh, the Orioles bullpen is good now. It's, you know, it's guys having good moments right now. But there are some things Justin points out in his piece that and that I think Ben uh, touches as well. Just no. This is just like every team just has a lot of good relievers right now, except the Red Sox. Like this is just like you see the way the Yankees, for example, or the Rays, or the Dodgers, the way they just produce bullpen arms out of thin air, or the yeah. way that they pick guys up like Phil Bickford, or you know, or uh, Matt Whistler, who was starting this game for the Rays, and it's a total nobody. I, I believe a Padres washout back in the day. Yeah. And turn them into useful, not just useful major league pitchers, but above average major league pitchers. Because the the science of pitching and being able to teach guys things and being able to measure and, and all that stuff has never been better. And it is extremely in the favor of pitchers right now. This There is no equivalent, I don't think, and not that I know of, uh, there's no baseball, there's no hit or drive line, as far as I can tell. There's no... You know, there's no such thing as seam-shifted wake for hitters. There's no such thing as pitch design and pitch tunneling for hitters. There's just see-ball, hit-ball. You know, and guys can do everything they can with their swing and their mechanics and their approach and everything else. But at a certain point, this is an arms race that pitching is really far in front of right now. And I think you're seeing, I think that's the overall takeaway from this opening stretch is pitching is really, really good right now. It is impossible to hit major league pitching. Like, impossible the best hitters in the world are being reduced to Elvis Andrus right now. Like, I don't necessarily think that's something, like you said, that's not something you could just fix midseason or that just changes, you know? As guys get, as the season gets warmer, or as the year gets warmer, or as, as the months get warmer, rather, and as the year goes on and as guys get more acclimated and as injuries start to hit, there will be a balancing of some kind. I don't think we're going to see 1968 the entire year. Mm. But I also don't think we're going to see, you know, a big spike in offense again. I think, like you said, this is going to be a year where you need pitching to get through it because it feels like there are going to be a lot of low-scoring games, a lot of one-run games, and a lot of games where you are going to be relying on a, on a varied and uh, multiple cast of relievers to get you through stuff. Like, again, how many teams off the top of your head have three or more options in their rotation who you could count on for five plus innings every time out is it is it even 10 is it even a third of the league there Mm, i'd have to go through that but yeah it's definitely i would say 
I would say less than a third of the league. Yeah, it, it's it's not a huge amount right now. And to that end, too, the teams that do have that, you know, your teams like you know Atlanta, although mm-hmm. I know you know they're not off to a good start right now. We don't or, about that. Or theoretically, like the Mets, especially if if and when Jacob Degrom gets back, or like the Dodgers, as always. Yeah. Again, that boosted benefit of they do have those guys. You know, they do have that rotation that does give them that extra benefit. They aren't as reliant as team because we saw this with the Rays last season. They just straight they just straight up ran out of pitchers um, because of injury, and mm-hmm. that is something you have to factor in. And if it, and if even a team like the Rays, which can just create pitchers out of thin air, like just doesn't have enough depth to get through a full 162 game season plus the postseason, that's probably not a good sign for the teams that are not the Rays or the Dodgers or the Yankees that have way more trouble coming up with arms. I guess we we can throw the Giants in that category too because what they've done the last two years. Uh, with the pitching that they have is is absolutely phenomenal. That that team is very clearly one of the best in the game when it comes to that stuff right now. Yeah, I'm not betting against anything that they're doing on that front. They have no the that's a in the development. Very very smart team. Right. I don't think that's going to pivot. Um, bad time to be Carlos Correa on a one year deal when you want to bounce back here <laughs> yeah. in Minnesota. You're like I'm going to rake in Minnesota for a year. The ball is going to be great, and then I'm going to get I'm going to dip back into the market. Um, I, I love that it came out this week that Correa is open to a long-term deal in Minnesota. I'm you like, think? Oh, yeah. Like, <laughs> you think he hasn't looked at the first three weeks of the year and where everything's going and hasn't turned to the front office of the Twins be like, hey, so um, yeah, I really like Minneapolis. Like, I'm a big fan of the Skywalks. Like, I love... Yeah. You know, I love the Juicy Lucy's. Like, please, please make me stay here forever. I would love to stay. Like, like I'll do commercials with A-Rod, uh, who's now a yeah. owner. It'll be it'll be Carlos Correa and Anthony Edwards both going, we don't know who A-Rod is. <laughs> like, they're both dressed like Paul Bunyan for some reason. Like, yeah, like, I if I were a hitter facing free agency next year, I'd be having a mild panic attack right now. Yeah. Because nobody, I don't think, is coming out of this year. Unless you're a bat-to-ball contact specialist of the highest order and or the kind of, like, hyper-patient power freak like Aaron Judge, this is going to be a tough season for you. Yeah. And if you're a free agent at the end of it, you are probably really unhappy with the way that this that this season has played out and with the way everything looks, uh, giving you yet one more reason to be mad at Rob Manfred. Although I guess he gave everyone Beats headphones, so that, that makes up for it. That's true, John. Um, the New York Yankees, we mentioned at the top of the show, are struggling uh, mightily to start this uh, Major League Baseball season. This was kind of what we said in our offseason review of them and where they were at was just that, like, this felt like an incomplete team that could have solved a lot. Like, they've had the money to solve a lot of these problems and could have just signed Carlos Correa, could have just beefed up this rotation a little bit more, could have done a little bit more. Uh, all right, like the Gary Sanchez trade, I think was one of the more defensible ones. Just where that relationship had gone, and yeah, I, I think as much as like the the contours of that trade were kind of strange, I, I do think it was like that was definitely one where it's like, yeah, th- these two these two need to be separated at this point. And right. before we get too fully into it, like I'm of the opinion that Glaber Torres is also in that same boat. Like he just need he needs to go somewhere else for his own sake. Um, yeah, no, I think he does, but I think that's his trade value could not be any worse. No, it's like, it's it's flat out zero, which is the like, problem. And I I think I think the Yankees will probably end up in a similar situation this offseason with Torres that they did with with Sanchez, which is where he's packaged as part of some other deal because straight up on his own he is he's not really going to return you much of anything right now. I am so fascinated to see what the Yankees summer looks like because 
I the Blue Jays are a machine. The Blue Jays they are, are very good. They're not going anywhere. No. Nope. And if they're not going anywhere, and the Rays are the Rays, and Wander Franco looks like an MVP guy, then suddenly the Yankees are in a very very tough bind uh, this season, where it's like, oh, the playoffs are not a guarantee anymore, and. The AL East is the, one of the few divisions in baseball where it's like, oh, everyone's trying outside of one team. Yeah. And this is... And even that one team isn't completely hopeless. Right. And Like, the Orioles are bad, but as I just hey, mentioned, will, you know... I think they have a lead over the Yankees uh, to this point in the season. Are they up 2-1 in head-to-head? They are up 2-1 in head-to-head. The Yankees are like 500 against the Orioles since the start of the 2021 <laughs> season, and everyone else in the AL East is like 750. It is it is one of the funniest things imaginable, but... Um, yeah, no, and it, for them, the problem isn't just, you know, they've got the Blue Jays and the Rays, and if the Red Sox can get their, you know, their stuff together, the Red Sox, but yeah. also the Twins look like genuine contenders and are almost certainly going to be competing for a wild card spot. Hey, the John, Mariners look John. like genuine contenders and will be competing if, for, if not the AL West, then a wild card spot. The Angels are at least in the picture and have yet mm-hmm. to soil themselves, so they're part of that conversation as well. I don't think we can yet write off the Tigers, although they're certainly not off to a great start. Like, there is going to be some genuine competition for the postseason. And I, I mean, to be fair, I, the Yankees are struggling right now, mostly offensively right. and mostly in whatever weird issues Garrett Cole has had in two different starts because the pregame ceremony went a little too long and also was a bit too cold in Detroit or whatever. But I think yeah, they're struggling off. I think overall, I mean, this is a team that we, you know, we bang it and it was even the, it was even the case last year, even though they were dreadful throughout. Like this is still a more likely than not a postseason team. And they have very good playoff odds still, you know, even though they've gotten off to a yeah, OK start. And the big thing with that now is like you, the the level of performance you expect from a lot of these guys is, you know, they're. The Yankees' big issue has been, in the last couple of years, injuries. You know, it's, it's not so much that Aaron Judge has struggled, it's that Aaron Judge hasn't been there, and they've had to make do with a lot of less-than-Aaron Judge uh, substitutes. You know, same thing in the rotation, same thing, you know, at different other parts of the diamond. I do think that is, you know, that is obviously still an issue, just as it is an issue for every team. But I think we're seeing, what we're seeing with the Yankees is, they do have, I think, more more pitching depth than I think we expected, particularly just in the guys they've been able to plug into that bullpen. And Michael King, in particular, has been uh, has been outstanding and looks to be you know moving up into that pecking order or at least becoming their like two or three inning multi out high leverage guy. Yeah, but you know I, I think we're seeing it too that the baseline performance offensively should be there and should be good enough at least. For them to be contenders like I, I, I it would take a lot of injuries and or Josh Donaldson and Joey Gallo etc actually being dead like they're they're genuine problems right now like we thought they weren't going to get any offense from catcher between Kyle Higashioka and whoever his backup was and it's currently Jose Trevino they're not you know we were we were skeptical that Glaber Torres you know was going to be able to recapture his uh, early career form he has not you know I think there were pl- probably concerns about Donaldson being 36 years old and whether or not he has you know started to reach the end even though he was great in minnesota last year he does not look very good right now gallo is a very feaster famine player you know stanton is a feaster famine player um you know the good signs are dj lemay who looks great again judge looks mm-hmm. good and healthy um isaiah kiner falefa hasn't been a total zero which is any offense he provides is obviously a plus anthony mm-hmm. rizzo has been has been very valuable so far um, which is obviously a big one because i don't i don't it's weird rizzo is one of those guys where it's like his how far he goes, I feel like, will determine in large part how far the Yankees go. Because hmm. he, guys like him and Donaldson and Gallo are the ones who really need to perform 
I mean, obviously Judge does too, but it's like you can you can both count on and expect a better level of performance from those guys. But what they really needed were those guys like Rizzo and Donaldson, either to have a bounce back or to find more durability or some combination of things. Because you know, as we noted, since they didn't go after guys like Carlos Correa and Matt Olson, they didn't go after the highest ceilings. They went after cheaper ceilings, so to speak. Mm-hmm. You know, the only problem is the floor is kind of rotten in a lot in a in a bit of places, but. I mean, I, I still like the Yankees for what they are, and I still think they should be a contender. And in part, it helps that Boston just does not look very good right now, and I'm really not sure where the solutions come from there. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's but they are reflective, I think, just of where baseball is as a whole right now, just in terms of offenses down, and in particular, if you're a team that uh, relies a lot on power to do your run scoring for you, you are in some trouble right now, and that has been the Yankees for a bit, as you know the. The, the common too many homers joke on Yankees Twitter, but at the same time, like this team hits a lot of home runs or is supposed to, and that's gonna that's supposed to be a big source of their of their of their scoring, you know. And if that's not happening right now for a variety of reasons, like maybe that changes, but maybe it doesn't, and they will have to adjust, same as everyone else will have to adjust. And I'll be that's the thing. I'll be interested to see which teams can handle this adjustment the best. If this is in fact something where when you know May goes along and offense still has not picked up. You know whether we start to get to the point where it's like, oh, it's just going to be like this all year. Yeah. And which teams are going to be best suited to kind of make the transition to, oh, okay, well then we'll, you know, we'll figure out a better way to do it. Yeah, for sure. And if you're the Yankees, I think you're popping in the Tennessee baseball tape, uh, the team that's been raking thirty-seven and three. I like how point. you just you just took a the first excuse you got to mention the number one team in america (laughs) they hit all the dingers john do you know who doesn't have an offense problem the tennessee volunteers um future number one pick matt joe or not matt joyce ben joe he's not related to matt joyce is he i don't think so but the dude throws heat yeah he throws 103 104 i've seen it it's disgusting it's just the plethora of riches on Knoxville right now is pretty pretty amazing. We still have a middle of the order guy batting close to 540 games into the season. Like it's just it's just preposterous. Look right at now, them guys. Vols. Look at them Vols. Um, but I think that ultimately the Yankees. I I, I shouldn't say ultimately. I, I there's still a lot of baseball to play. They are 16 games into the season. But I will throw this trivia question out to you, John. Who has the uh, give me the top three teams you think are the top three teams in point in point differential at the moment right now is. And run differential? Yeah, run differential. Excuse me. Toronto? Actually, no, the Toronto's Los not. Angeles should be the... The Dodgers are... Yes, Los, the Dodgers are one. Okay. That, yeah, that should be my first guess. Um, I'm going to say also... Have 38 runs this Yeah, time. they're they're really, really good. It's a, it is shocking, honestly, and understandably so for a variety of reasons. How has that team only won one World Series in the last five years? It's beyond belief to me. Yeah, it's they, they ran into a super team that was cheating, a super mm. team that was cheating, <laughs> a Nationals team that just pulled a World Series out of its own butt. Yeah. And then a Braves team that pulled a World Series out of its own butt. Hey, banners hang forever. John. The flags do fly forever. And thats yeah. it's not to take anything away from the Braves. It's just like, man, that Dodgers team has been so good for so long. They are once again the best team in baseball. I don't see any reason to assume whether they won't be the best team in baseball for the entire season. And well, yet. There's another part of this. So who do you think is number two? Uh, the Giants. The Giants are number two at plus 39. Hey. And who do you think is number three? The Orioles. 
No. No, they're not. The, it's not the Orioles. <laughs> they are not. They're, not <laughs> they're barely scoring any runs. They are not a good offensive but, team. But it's actually not that bad because they're not giving up any runs either. The pitching's been a lot better in uh, Baltimore to this point. Um, no, John. The answer is the New York Mets at there plus you go. 35. And that and, makes sense. Again, that's yeah. those are three teams that have good rotations, that have pretty good bullpens and that have deep and solid lineups yeah no surprises there i mean san francisco may be less lineup so than than the mets and the dodgers um but at the same time that's a team that like the rays plays a lot of platoons and is very smart about that so yeah i'm is it time we talk to our kids about the nl west being the best division in baseball it's funny because like top to bottom top to i mean top to bottom i mean because they're 10 and 6 right now yeah, but it's a it's obviously I mean, not obviously no no sh- no shade to the Rockies, but is that a ten and six you believe in? Oh, who doesn't believe in Rocktober? Whenever, uh, whenever you have that opportunity, they have a sneaky deep outfield now. Like the outfield's okay with Blackman, with Gritchick and uh, Brian. Chris Bryant. Yeah, so Crone's raking. Like if that if see, Crone I mean they've they've gotten a lot of yeah. they've gotten a lot of positive surprises like CJ Crone still being you know having Love continuing to be good. Connor Joe's been outstanding. Uh, Kyle Freeland's been fine. You know, the pitching the pitching has been fine, and that's all the pitching in Colorado ever needs to be is fine. Mm-hmm. The problem for a long time has always been – not always, but the problem for a long time has been where is the offense on a team that literally plays a Coors Field half the year? Like, why is there not more offense going happening here? Yeah. And on top of that, it's been we play in a division with the best team in baseball, a team that won 103 games last year, and a team run by a general manager who is addicted to making trades. Like, there's not a whole lot of daylight for the Rockies, even when they're not bad, to really do much of anything. But, yeah, I mean, I, I guess you could argue it's, I mean, the only, it's, it's the debates between the NL, the NL West and the AL East. And it just depends on one, whether or not you think Boston or Colorado is better, and two, whether or not you think, or whether you think Arizona or Baltimore is worse. Um, because otherwise, those top three line up pretty well i'd say you got in toronto new york and tampa and then i guess that's the other thing is tampa is better than san diego i don't really think that's too much of a stretch so i would say the three through five teams in the nl west drag it down a little bit if only be i mean the rockies as they are now sure helpful but i also don't think that that is going to hold and so i think ultimately it is going to be the al east because even if the red Sox are struggling that's still going to be four above 500 teams at the end of the day I just don't think – I think the difference is going to be that in the NL West, one or both of the Dodgers and Giants is going to crest the 95-win plateau, whereas yeah. in the AL East, I think it's going to be really, really tough for any one team to break 95 wins given how often they have to play each other. Um, how much did you enjoy the Angel Hernandez-Kyle Schwarber uh, oh, breakdown boy. this week, John? Because I thought that was just an absolute delight. And I, I love that it. I love that Schwarber got to say what everyone on both sides was thinking the whole time, which is, come the fuck on, dude. Yeah. Because that's really, what can you say about Angel Hernandez at this point beyond come the fuck on? His reaction of, like, just the bat, like, immediately, and then just moving over, and then like, pointing at this part, and then pointing at that part. But the, and even just him both sizing it, where he's like, I'm not even mad just for me. I'm yeah, he's at- like, this is both teams have been dealing with yes. this all day. And he's right, because Angel Hernandez is an equal opportunity <laughs> screw-up artist. Like, he screws both teams, because he is completely inconsistent in his in his ability to call up like someone made the point i don't love the um scorecard account because i i just don't think that that's necessarily the 
there's nothing there's nothing to say that the ump scorecard account is it, it's like that that um there was a similar ump account that went out a few years ago where it's like that was based off like the espn k zone and it's like that's not how any of this works but it made the point that angel hernandez had missed more or less one out of every four strike calls like that that's insane that is absolutely nuts like he called a quarter of all all a quarter of his called strikes were balls that's absolutely bonkers like how how is this a man who's still allowed to be behind the plate this is years and years and years of a of visible and demonstrated incompetence at the most important part of his job when it comes to standing behind the plate the wicked witch of the east bro that's the one i was that's the one i was thinking of is someone someone dubbed that over schwarber yelling and it works it was really well oh so good it was but, so good she comes down and like oh my god <laughs> but like that's the thing like how how can you let this still be a thing you know like mm-hmm. it like kyle schwarber is not it's it's funny that no one has come out and said kyle schwarber like overreacted or something everyone's yes. response has been nope that was appropriate yeah. Even Major League Baseball hasn't said anything. I'm sure Schwarber will get a fine at some point or another. But, yeah. like, I, I would I would also imagine, too, that within MLB's offices, because I know it's also the fact, you know, that Angel Hernandez at one point sued them for, I believe it was race-based discrimination over not getting particular umpiring assignments. But you, I can definitely imagine that the league offices probably are not fans of Angel Hernandez themselves um, and would very much like him to go away because there, there's not even, like, a... And it's not charming. It wasn't charming. There's not even like a charming Joe West aspect to this where it's like, oh, country Joe West. He's a cowboy and he's gruff and in charge and he looks like he swallowed a beer keg. Like, no, Angel Hernandez is just incompetent. Beer keg. That's a bit like that's a Angel Hernandez just is bad at his job. He is unbelievably bad at his job. Yeah. And it is a both sides thing where it's like he's not he's not he's not biased. You don't see that ever. You don't ever see that like both sides where a player is so upset at a call for himself. But he's also like, I'm not just disappointed in my call. I'm disappointed even my opponent. Like, yeah. I'm disappointed because all of this because Angel Hernandez was screwing both sides all day. Right. Like 22 combined strikeouts between the two starters in 14 innings. And like some of that is like Aaron Nola is a very good pitcher and Eric Lauer has very good stuff. But like that shouldn't that, like come on man like grow up grow up <laughs> exactly it really just is like the wicked like it, it is just you just want to yell at him even though you know it's not going to accomplish anything yeah. i just want to yell at him be better just be better do better it's not You're this look hard at me and tell me that i'm wrong exactly <laughs> that really come was on, like bro. that really was grow perfect up. and like and and again, like the the downside of all those, like, and I understand, like, part of the part of the problem here is the umpires' union very much protects its own. But the end result for them is going to be more. Like, Angel Hernandez is going to get visibility not just because he's incompetent, but because he's incompetent in a way that's making everyone think of robot umpires and robot strike zones all the damn time. Like, that's the last thing you need when that's already something that the league very clearly wants, and that the players don't really seem to have any issue with themselves, assuming the kinks are fixed, which. We all thought the Kings would be fixing the ball, so whatever. Point being, like, it, it doesn't yeah. do the umpires any favor to have him out there either because all he's doing is making the argument as loudly as possible that, yeah, there should probably just be some kind of automated strike zone because this is flat-out ridiculous. Which is fine because the easiest solution is just, well, you just fire Angel Hernandez. Yeah. Done. You just do not assi- – or you don't assign him home plate anymore, you know? But – yeah, I, I'm I'm really happy Kyle Schwarber did that. He he spoke for I think a lot of us there who have just watched Angel Hernandez botch call after call and go, "Are you are you serious, dude? Like, what is wrong with you?" 
Oh, man. Um, do you have any conspiracy oh, theories on Michael Conforto and him taking the surgery and now being lost for the no, I, uh, 22 season? No, I just think it was, a, it was a bad timing thing and or maybe bad advice on Scott Boris's part as to, you know, what his market was going to look like, the level yeah. of interest there was going to be in his services. And then I think, the I mean, the lockout just clearly screwed up a lot of plans for a lot of people. He looked at the ball and was like, oh, what are the batting averages right now? <laughs> he like, someone's like, oh, no, my shoulder. <laughs> I mean, but that's the thing, like for his, for his beneficials, it might be for Conforto to miss out on what might be the worst offensive season in 50 years. Yeah. He's also now in the position where he's going to be an over 30 outfielder coming off shoulder surgery for the second time in his career. Uh, I don't know if it's the same shoulder, but, you know, you, regardless, you don't want two shoulder surgeries. Yeah. Uh, and almost certainly he's going to have to take some kind of pillow deal and one fat. Like, no one's going to give him a long-term deal next year, I can't imagine. No. So, not only, like, he has lost any realistic sh- shot he had at that big contract, I think. Which is a he's shame. I could the Correa type thing, but yeah, I, I, much smaller scale. Which is funny, because that's what Boris got for Correa. And I, I would be yeah. curious, too, how much Correa's situation, once Boris inherited him... Uh, factored into how Boris kind of advised all his other players, which is not to say that Boris, you know, uh, did something wrong necessarily, just that the unique situation that Correa was in might have complicated things and drawn it. I I mean, I just, it it is curious to me that, you know, the Conforto, and granted he got hurt in January and I think teams probably knew about that and were just like, okay, well, you know, We'll, we'll we'll see you when you're healthy, and that just turned out to be not this year. Yeah, but it does it does just seem like whatever the plan was for his free agency, it just did not come together or work out at all. And it's it's a shame. He's a good hitter. He would have been a real help to a variety of teams. The Red Sox really could have used him. He feels like a future Red Sox. Well, maybe you'll give him a discount next year. Maybe, but at the same time, it's yeah, it's 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 a real bummer for him. But it, the silver lining, as as we know, is he doesn't have to hit in this environment right now, which is uh, a very bad mess. Yeah, you have to tell Dancy Swanson about that. Um, Taking the Dancy Swanson shots for no reason other than he's bad. Yeah, what a world. Just, I'll never stop. Um, <laughs> let's end with the Ben Clemens piece on the bigger bullpen. So for the folks who have not gone and checked that out yet, um, go check it out. Uh, Fangraphs.com uh, came out today. Uh, great MLB writer Ben Clemens wrote about how bigger bullpens are constraining offense. John, you alluded to this at the top of the program. Mm-hmm. What did you make of his piece? What were some things that he found that just stood out most to you and why folks should check this out to really gain perspective on what this season's going to ultimately entail? So the thing I've always liked about Ben and the way he writes and the way he puts articles together is he starts, he basically treats his pieces like a scientific experiment. You know, he starts with a hypothesis and he he works through all the variables and tries to prove it or not. And regardless of whether or not he gets the answer he was, you know, looking for or intended or, or whatever, he always comes up with something interesting. And I think with this piece in particular, it's the feeling of, or not the feeling, it's just the, the reality of just like, again, the the thing that stood out to me is pointing out this isn't just there are a lot of good lot of relievers and they're good this is the the worst relievers the guys that we yeah. projected to have the worst CRAs and to work the lowest leverage innings and who really were not you know the guys you never really expect to contribute much of anything to a season aside from saving some innings and a blowout are pitching about as well as the highest projected pitch as the highest projected relievers with the best DRAs that is terrifying. And again, it goes to like what I said about the Orioles bullpen, as, as Justin Choi pointed out. That's not a good bullpen by any stretch of the imagination. Again, it was a it was a bullpen we projected to be bottom five in the league, if not the worst. I think maybe the I think only the Rockies were were worse than the Orioles in our projections. 
but again, they've made they've been able to find enough guys to who have one or two good things that they can do to string it up. And like that's that just seems to be like that's really all you need for a reliever at this point is can you do one thing at like an eighty five percent or like uh, at an above average level? Yes. Okay. Great. You hope there's a spot for you. And I mean, in particular for the Orioles, like they had so many failed starters that I think, you know, turning failed starters into relievers is just the way to go for a lot of this stuff. Yeah. But that, that's the thing that stood out to me the most. That this isn't just like the Josh haters of the world shutting guys down, you know, or, or, or like or, or something like that. This is the Orioles relievers of the world shutting guys down right now. That's mm-hmm. how good pitching has become. That's how good pitching development has become. That is the mountain that MLB hitters now need to climb. And that Ben's piece really did kind of lay it out in pretty stark terms. Yeah, and that's just kind of, I like, I think it's just good, it's kind of like a good uh, just thing for, hey, this is where this is, like it or not, this is where we're at, and this is what has to be adjusted if you want things to be a little bit different, but um, I'm fascinated to see how it all plays out. John Taylor, uh, what can the good folks check out uh, from Fangraphs.com this week, outside of Ben's great piece? Uh, Coming out on Wednesday, we have our Chicago White Sox top prospects list. So White Sox fans should definitely check that one out to see uh, what Eric Long and Hagen thinks of their system. Uh, We have a piece. uh, Yeah, they're they're, they're really struggling right now. Uh, We'll have a piece also from Ben on Mackenzie Gore on on his first few starts, uh, one of the top prospects in baseball at least a little bit ago. Uh, Other stuff that's come up recently is a great piece by Luke Cooper up on Byron Buxton, who is just destroying pitchers and particularly fastballs. And if you're a Hall of Fame weirdo, Jay Jaffe has a piece about the Hall's decision to go back to era committees after scrapping them uh, about five or almost ten years ago, I believe. on uh, the guys who fall off the ballot on future veterans committee elections on the hall as a whole uh he talked to josh rowich who's the president of the hall of fame about that one so if you're a hall of fame slash baseball history guy i mean you're all you're already reading jay in the first place but definitely go check out jay on that one it's a it's a very interesting piece on on how this is going to affect uh future hall of fame classes there you go there you go john taylor follow you on twitter at uh ja taylor and uh, go subscribe to fangraphs.com if you have not already done so it's a great website and it's the we're in the major league baseball season so go do that today um and it's like i said just great to have you back man and um this is great to uh, be back well Love, there's back talking home. actual baseball we're talking about actual baseball there's actual ball on my tv that if you look for whichever shoulder this is you can see faint outline of Randy Rosarena hitting against Logan Gifford. <laughs> There's actual baseball on. That rules. I actually also, don't Logan, watch any of that because I don't know if that's a copyright thing. <laughs> Logan Gilbert looks a lot like the young dude in The Fugitive and U.S. Marshals who gets killed by Robbie, Robert Downey Jr. in U.S. Marshals. So, spoiler alert, by the way, for a 30-year-old movie that is not good. Yeah. I don't think you're supposed to do a spoiler alert after the spoiler. Well, you know what? It's It's fine. It's fine. It's 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 night Twitter. No one's reading this. <laughs> it's night Twitter. John Taylor, talk to you next week. Cheers. All right, we're back here on the Chase Thomas podcast with Lauren Gunn. She has made her return, and that's not just a pun. That is not a tax time pun do you get it return <laughs> lauren gun do you do you get oh my the return? gosh do you, when do you i don't ever want to hear that word again no mm-hmm. are you out no i'm not out i'm not mm-hmm. out because let me tell you there are some perks but i mm-hmm. 
I'm just, I don't want to hear it for a very long time. Oh my Lord. I feel that. I feel that. Um, I could not do it. My mom's an accountant. She can oh, nice. empathize with where you're coming from, Lauren. I am not a numbers person. It's not my deal, so I can't, uh, I can't do it. But I did learn um, recently. This is how out of touch I am, even with my own taxes, because my mother does them, is that <laughs> I, uh, I didn't realize that there's only, when you're in Tennessee, one of the few states, I think Texas is the same way, where you don't get a state return, right? Like, we, we're only a federal, yeah. no income tax, so it's different. I did not know Tennessee was like that. That's really yeah. good to know, because I don't do, obviously, I don't personally do much involved with, with Tennessee specifically, not yet, mm-hmm. but um, I did not know that, so that's very good to know. Yeah, Tennessee's one of them, but I was like, oh, I, I, I freaked out for a second, because like, well, they accepted my federal mom, where's my... They didn't accept the state. So she was like, there is no state in Tennessee. And I was like, oh, was that the case last year too? And she was like, yeah. And I was like, huh, never knew that. (laughs) All right, let's run with it. Um, Speaking of let's run with things, Lauren, Mm -hmm. the Dallas Mavericks, are they running away from this series with the Dallas Mavericks or with the Dallas Mavericks, with the Utah Jazz? Where where are you at with this series right now, Lauren? Um, Oh, man. I mean, obviously last night's win was – a big one, you know, mm. margin wise, but I think it's, it's the energy. I saw so many tweets from non Mavs people talking about Donovan Mitchell's energy, the lack of effort from the jazz. They have one of the best, maybe even the best offense this past regular season. And to only finish with, I don't even like 77 points or whatever it ended up being was bad. Like if you're mm. that, if you have that dominant of an offense, you don't ever get, fail to put up points to that degree. And so um, I think it really helps Dallas to not only get the win at home, but get a win in such a dominant fashion. Going back to Utah, pressure's on them. They've got Luka back. You know, they Dallas is salivating at the mouth to get out of this first round. And I have said for a long time, kind of leading up to this series and as the regular season was ending, that I feel like it's only a matter of time until Utah implodes. Mm-hmm. I want them in the first round because even though they are a very good team statistically, I do feel like it's only a matter of time until they implode. And this year's playoffs was going to be no matter whether it was Dallas or Golden State or Denver or whatever it ended up being. And so it's not over by any means. Like Dallas has to take care of business. But another thing that I was very encouraged by in last night's win was the fact that when they were up by 20, 30, they did not keep or they did not take their foot off the gas. They were mm. very much staying aggressive on defense, attacking the rim on offense. Uh, they didn't go stretches where it was just bad shot after bad shot. There were a couple in there, but it wasn't long stretches of just lack of movement on the offensive end. So I think that they're ready to kind of get this over with, whether Donovan Mitchell is playing or not. If Lucas started this series and played in the first two games, do you think this is a sweep? No. I don't. I'm going to give the Jazz a little bit more than that. Uh, I don't think it would be. And also, I think the Jazz home floor is a very difficult home floor to play Mm. on. There's a lot of energy there. Their fans come ready to go. And so, I know a lot of Mavs fans have been saying that. I've seen some other people saying that. But personally, I do not think it would have been. What has been the biggest surprise game to game for you? What is flipped or what did you think going into this series that you thought would matter a lot? That mm-hmm. has not turned out to necessarily be as uh, a pivotal. It could be a good thing or a bad thing for the Mavs. For the Mavs, um, hmm. From game to game, I want to say their 
Good thing we'll do one good one, one bad. Mm. The good thing, I think, is their ability to stay the course. Because those first two games, I had no idea how they were going to... Like, what the mindset was of, oh, it's okay if we split, if we don't have Luka, because we know that he'll probably come back three or four. Like, none of us as a fan, had nobody had any idea what was going to happen. Mm. So their ability to stay the course despite getting and, and win one of those games at home despite getting out-rebounded by 20-plus uh, was crazy. And so... I think just keeping in mind that there's so much pressure for them to get out of the first round this this year, taking away whatever's going on in Utah. There's a lot of pressure on Dallas to get out of the first round. Um, and so knowing that you're not, you don't have Luka, you don't have this guy that is a generational talent and typically has a crazy high usage rating, how are you going to navigate that to set yourself up for his return to be able to win this series? Yeah. And so I think... Coach Kidd has actually done a really, really good job keeping the rotation and keeping the team just in line in terms of doing the little things as best as they can to mitigate Rudy Gobert, try and know that Donovan Mitchell's on most nights is going to do Donovan Mitchell and that you're going to have to at least deal with one of Boyan or Jordan Clarkson and just trying to pick the little battles where you know you're going to be able to get over the hump and win the game. And that has ended up being the successful shooting of... Josh Green and Maxi Kleba because you know that, or at least for this Mavs team, for them to have any shot, I guess, in those first two games without Luka, Spencer and Jalen were both going to have to be scoring, which happened. Reggie Bullock and Dorian Finney-Smith were both going to have to knock down at least two threes a night, which happened, which was reasonable for them to expect. But the kind of swing region was, Mm -hmm. can Josh Green and Maxi provide you with quality minutes? And they did. So, um Things are going their way, but uh, again, they're going back to Utah. They can't let up now. What has been the biggest difference you've noticed from playoff kid versus playoff Carlisle? Oh, man. Honestly, uh, I hate to say this, but the communication. Like, Hmm. there is nonstop communication between the coaches, between you've got Sean Sweeney up out of his seat every five seconds. The entire bench is up there, up out of their seats. Um there's just so much communications between the coaches on the bench, screaming out to the players on the floor, calling out plays. It just, there's so much more camaraderie. Um, it does. He do this a, too. I've noticed that in the Hawks the heat? Heat series. It's Chris okay. Quinn and all those guys. They're all mm-hmm. out and they're communicating. And yeah. that, it helps because the Hawks could not do anything on, yeah. uh, on Sunday. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, it's definitely tough because Rick is a very, very good coach, and he's very Mm well-respected, but he always has this calm demeanor about him. Yes. And he gets very angry when things, when he gets a bad call, and he, uh, granted, he's very, he's got a great basketball mind, so he knows what calls should be what calls. Um, Like, also had a very successful challenge, success rate when when Hmm. that got implemented, for those that didn't know. Um, So, Rick was, everybody knows he has a great mind for the game, but he was always very arms crossed, Mm -hmm. very quiet, focused on the game. He was not communicating as much with the coaches the way kid is and so I feel like that has had a positive impact on the guys for the guys maybe even closer toward the end of the bench that are staying locked in um and just ready to go interesting um outside of the Mavs jazz series what uh what have you found yourself watching a lot that the series for you that has just really caught your attention that you're like all right when I need a break from Mavs jazz this is my series right now Memphis, Minnesota, 100%. Ooh, okay. 
I, think I feel vindicated, very... Lauren. I oh, feel really? vindicated. I said for a month, I was like, this is the worst case scenario for Memphis. For is Memphis. that Minnesota's better, and they're better <laughs> equipped to win a seven-game yeah. series with Memphis. Like, they should be up 3-1 right now. Like, mm-hmm. without a crazy, crazy blown lead and uh, two blown leads in that game and stuff like that and two crazy mm-hmm. runs, Memphis is down 3-1. And yeah. it's not really been that particularly close where I was like, the thing about Memphis is they have to win multiple blowouts in this series. They have mm-hmm. to win multiple blowouts because the way they win is transition and bury people with their energy, their hustle. Yep, exactly. They just They're blow top. you out early, and you're like, all right, well, this is Memphis's night. They've done too much. We can't do it. But if they have six or seven games where it comes down to half-court possession after half-court possession, like it's jaw and asking a lot out of Dylan Brooks or – uh, Desmond Bain, where I'm like, mm-hmm. no, they, Minnesota doesn't have to do that. Minnesota right. has Towns. They have Anthony Edwards. They have Russell. They have uh, Vanderbilt and uh, Patrick Beverly, who know mm-hmm. exactly what their role is. And they're like, we're not doing anything with that. We're not messing around or pretending to be something that we're not. Mm-hmm. I just thought this was a terrible matchup for Memphis and was one of the rare terrible ones where people were like, oh, they could they could be a cute series. I'm like, Minnesota can absolutely win this series. Like, yes. that, that was my yes. one pick, pick to win. I don't know if you were like that. I so the reason that they that they were my vote is because I didn't know what to feel because yeah. I was over here like the matchup is truly so interesting because we've seen this dominant season from from Memphis Taylor Jenkins has been amazing John Morant's been amazing Desmond Bain like they've been a fantastic team this season but Minnesota is putting together something special and Chris Finch and Carl Anthony Towns how is Jaron Jackson Jr. who's having a stellar defensive season going to match up against Carl Anthony Towns because when you have guys like that there's only so much you can do but we've also seen Carl Anthony Towns in the regular season have some not so great games mm-hmm. or, or just like take a minute to get going so I wanted to see in a playoff atmosphere how all of those things were going to come together on both sides and so uh, I expected it to be a very intriguing series I still couldn't tell you how it's going to wrap up because mm-hmm. I think both teams just have so much fight in them and so i've really enjoyed it and uh yeah i mean we'll see what happens oh and the other thing that i was going to say is similar to dallas memphis is a team that has you know their core guy but doesn't have necessarily stars around them like jaron jackson jr a very Mm -hmm. solid player the same way jalen brunson is but i think from the league perspective fans around the league aren't saying jalen brunson is a star they aren't saying jaron jackson jr is a star yet even though i think that there's a case that both players are um I, I think it's very interesting to see how the league has perceived both of these teams and where they put their ceilings at. Because when you don't have that clear number two flashy star, you get looked at in a different light. And so, mm. um, I don't know. I think both teams have a lot to play for and have a lot on their side, but we'll see if, if they can get it done. How do you think the series ultimately ends? Do you think Memphis wins the series still, or do you think Timberwolves have enough to do this? I kind of I'm at the point where I think the Timberwolves have enough to okay. to to get it done. But I I again I can see Memphis like I, it's truly so up in the air. Uh, so we'll see. But right now I think I'm leaning a little bit towards Minnesota. My uh, I'm not gonna do the Joe Biden Minnesota. Um, <laughs> yeah, but I uh, I am excited to see how this unfolds, and it's a it's a great fun series. But mm-hmm. um, the other one now that just has my full undivided attention is um, outside of the Hawks, which I don't want to give my undivided attention. <laughs> um, the Raptors and Sixers. Which oh, is that's just, a good one. Like, if they pull this off, like, Twitter, people have made this point, but, like, it is 1,000% true that if, like, if the Sixers really do blow a 3-0 lead and they do lose this series, like, I, I just I, – I, 
the internet cannot handle it. Like nothing can handle that kind of like with Doc Rivers, James Harden, and Joel Embiid all being involved in this situation. Like, oh man, I uh, I don't know. This is this is wild. And if there was a team to just never quit and be like, all right, we'll just play our guys forty eight minutes. Who cares? Like mm-hmm. we're not playing for the second round. Like Nick Nurse has been doing forty minutes a night with his five all season long. But mm-hmm. like, if Fred Van Fleet can get right, I mean. They will live and die with their five, and mm-hmm. I I don't know. We'll see with the the thumb stuff with MB, but I am I'm quite curious um, to see what ultimately happens with this series. Um, where where are you at with Ben Simmons? He he didn't play. Oh, the Nets get swept. Lauren, <laughs> um, it's it's bad. It's quite bad. He officially missed the entire season. Uh, along with John Wall, two guys uh, who mm-hmm. could have played basketball this season, did not play basketball this season. Mm-hmm. Two stars, um, different parts of their career, but did not play uh, for varying reasons. But I uh, I don't know. I thought Nikias Duncan had a really good thread on uh, Ben Simmons. I don't know if you saw it. I haven't. But I highly encourage folks to go check that out um, about Ben Simmons and that he is clearly going through it, which I do think – um, is probably true. And mm-hmm. it's also just true that, like, we don't know. And it's easy right. to just say, I don't know. Like, I'm not in there. I'm not in these meetings. I don't know where he's at. I don't know what's yep. true, what's not. Like, we don't we don't know. But a lot of people want to um, make it seem like they know what's going on. It, right. All that we do know is that it, this is a bad look. That's the yes. only thing we know is the optics are bad. Right. And that Kevin Durant, I think it's fair to say now... <laughs> may have made a bad choice uh and who he just wanted to partner up with was just mm-hmm. james harden and Kyrie, and then harden turning into simmons where it's like kevin durant now is just getting laughed at by uh nba on tnt he's feuding <laughs> with those guys mm-hmm. he's not handling the sweep particularly well but he's too good of a player to get swept in round one at this point in his career like this yeah. is it just sucks for basketball that LeBron and KD have both found themselves in these situations and for very different reasons. Um, and it's part of like, hey, when you have this kind of power and you put this team together that you want to put together and you went to Brooklyn, you went to Los Angeles, you cultivated the roster to fit what you wanted. Sometimes it goes the wrong way and sometimes it doesn't go the way that you had envisioned, unfortunately. Right. And I don't know. The Nets are a mess and like it looks like steve nash is getting another year but nothing would surprise me this offseason so where are you at with the nets simmons and Kyrie? yeah with i want to start with simmons because i think the biggest thing that you said is that we don't know what's going Mm. on and like for so so long the nba or like players within the nba have not really or in sports have not really talked about mental health right and it's really only a become a subject of conversation within recent history and so at the end of the day we don't know what is going on what specifically just the specifics and so I am not really going to ever be one to like speculate on what I think is going on what I think is real if I think he's a quitter because there's just so much more going on and so um I also am not like a professional so I I'm not gonna do that but I do agree that the optics are are bad, and I think for the Nets overall, nothing is off the table. I saw Kyrie said he wants to come back. I don't. I'm not putting my chips in on that at all. Like I, we've seen it a million times. 
he ends up in a different jersey. So these players are talking. You know, you know that there are teams around the league looking at this situation saying, how can we maximize on this? How can we get one of these guys? How can we save KD from that? Or, or whatever the case may be. And so in this era that we're in, things can change very quickly. Um, you never know what's going to happen if, for some reason, Toronto does win this series, <laughs> which yeah. would be mind-blowing. And then maybe there becomes a little bit more tension. I keep seeing things between, or that things that Joel Embiid is supposedly saying to uh, James Harden. I don't know if they're all true, but it doesn't seem like it's hearts and flowers over there right now. And 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 you wouldn't expect it to be. So nothing I feel like is off limits for the Nets. And I do think there could they. I mean. Apart from, well, even with the Lakers, I think the Nets are by far the most fascinating situation this offseason. And I do wonder what the future holds for Ben Simmons, because if they feel like, hey, we're trying to win now with Kyrie and KD, maybe he gets moved again if they don't know if he's going to be available. And maybe that's where a young team who says, hey, we're willing to give you the time off or whatever you need or be patient with you or whatever you need if... You know, we feel like we can, if you'll be available at some point, and even that, I don't know how much you're willing to give at that point as a franchise, uh, but I don't know that Brooklyn is going to want to start next season with yet another situation that has a lot of uncertainty surrounding it. They don't have a choice, I don't think. They you just... don't think that they can trade Ben Simmons at all? No. Nobody's t- Nobody like... would take Ben You don't think anybody would take Ben I Simmons? I mean, the only, there's one team. Lakers like if you get <laughs> Westbrook for Simmons like if you talk them into that and you're like all right Steve Nash you get uh, Westbrook Katie mm. and uh and Kyrie just see what your offensive rating could be because I mean it is a better fit going from Vogel to Nash and like I think Westbrook would not struggle nearly as much in mm-hmm. Brooklyn as he did in Los Angeles because they don't they're not gonna put the assignments the defensive assignments and just he's gonna be in a completely different position but I don't think that's reality and I don't think that's something that could happen but it would be amazing if that uh, the Lakers somehow stumbled into Ben Simmons uh, for the Westbrook contract and got out of that, and um, that's where they were at. But I don't even know what Katie and Westbrook's relationship is like anymore. And um, that's a big part of it for sure. Yeah. So I I don't know. It's a lot of stuff that we just don't know what's going on there. But I will say one of the things that scares me that I've just wondered about Ben is that, um. Like, if you're Ben Simmons and, like, if you read the reports of, like, the mental, like there is a mental stress of him getting back out on the floor. And because it's been so long now, there's going to be, a, like, I cannot even imagine the nerves that he's dealing with to go back out. And, like, just he's going to be expected to immediately perform, even though it's not fair, because people are going to be like, oh, you've had this much time to rehab and get right. Like, you should be ready to go now. Like, we need to see the old Ben Simmons and get through it. But it's like there's not going to be the right time for Ben Simmons to come back where fans are going to treat him nicely, that he's going to be in a situation where things are, it it doesn't even have to be Philly. Like I think anywhere he goes, unfortunately now with the way fans are and with the way games are, he's going to be heckled from tip to the end of the game. Like there's no way around that. And I wonder, I'm like, if I'm talking to Ben, if I'm clutch, I'm, I'm Rich Paul. And I'm like, this sucks, man. But like, there's not going to be a right time for you. Like this right. is, you're going to have to get through the bad part. And if you're struggling with this, we understand, but you also have to be honest about like, there's not going to be a situation where you can tell the fans, Hey, 
Like we're not no heckling, no anything <laughs> for right. 48 minutes. Like that's not going to be a thing. You're going to have to deal with some crazy stuff being said to you Set. and thrown at you. Um, not physically, but just like a lot of crazy stuff is going to be in your face for a yeah. long period of time until you prove those people wrong. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. that's kind of where he's at. And I'm like, if he makes that realization as a person, it's like, does he play basketball again? Mm-hmm. If he's like, I don't want to go through that. Like, I don't think there is a 0% chance that Ben Simmons has already played his last basketball game. Like, I, I, I agree with you. And I've thought about that because I was like, what are the odds? What are the you know stipulations or what happens with the con the remaining contract? Like yeah. what, what happens there? But so I, and I don't know those answers, Mm. But um, I do think it's it's a very interesting conversation because, I mean, those are real things. And, and you're absolutely right. Like, he is going to get heckled everywhere he goes. And from a getting over it standpoint, like or, like, the the easiest, like, from an outside perspective thing to say would be, like, just start now or start at the, the beginning of next season, get it over with. And before you know it, there will be a new storyline that's more important right. and more relevant than yours. And that's just like the way it goes, but it's just not that easy. And so yeah. I, I don't know what the expectation is going to be for him. Um, and it just, it's just every single thing that continues to come out is just such a bad look for Brooklyn. Um, I do wonder if, you know, their KD is like, sorry, this is not even close to what we thought it was, but we just had to get off of the last situation. Now we have to get off this situation. We'll still be good enough just mm-hmm. keep it moving like I, I just don't know it's reasonable to expect but i'm definitely gonna be watching i wonder if he has any regrets about leaving golden state i wonder if he spoke candidly about it if he was like i may have made a mistake yeah. of just how many rings we could have won and just the the consistency and like the teammates like going mm-hmm. from steph curry and clay and draymond <laughs> and going to war with those guys versus where he is now i just yeah. i wonder if he thinks about that i i don't know like I, I would, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I do too, because I'm like, I don't know what his true, like, priorities are. Is it mm-hmm. win as many rings as possible? Is it, okay, next up, I got to go do it on my own so I can finally be done with all this nonsense? Is he truly that much of a, I don't care what anyone has to say, I'm going to do what I want, play where I want, like, even if that means teaming up with whoever I choose year after year? I just don't know where that stands, because honestly... I would love to see him just somehow end up back in OKC, but I just don't see that happening as of right yeah. now. And so, I don't know. I'm all for, like, trying to balance out, get talent to the, like, teams that don't really have it. Mm-hmm. Um, even if that means, like, I just, I don't know what's going to happen with KD, but I'm tired of, I personally get exhausted by these, like, quote-unquote super teams that just decide they want to get together and then can just magically get together and essentially say, oh, I want this guy, whether it be James Harden mm-hmm. at the time or whoever it was, and I'm going to, we're going to get him here. It's mm-hmm. going to be ugly and it's going to be drag, get dragged out, but we are going to force it into happening and it's going to happen because mm-hmm. we know that it will and it, and it, it always does. Uh, so I'm kind of fatigued by all of that uh, yeah. happening, but that's just, that's just my personal I mean, I think a lot of people probably feel that way. Um, Well, we'll end on this. Um, This is something that I think is something I've been thinking about too, is just the amount of injuries that are already, that are still propping up and Mm -hmm. Devin Booker being out for the Suns obviously changes the Suns Pelican series. Like, yes, it's great that that makes the Pelicans just, it's a lot more fun of a situation and the intrigue for that matchup obviously went up. 
mm-hmm. because of what happened there. Jimmy Butler's not playing tonight with the Heat, with knee soreness. Kyle Lowry's out. You go up and down the list. Robert Williams missed the Celtics series. It obviously didn't end up uh, playing a big role there. But um, Ben Simmons, obviously, we talked about, did not play for Brooklyn. But they were hit with injuries. And you just go up and down the league right now. And so many playoff series are kind of not completely defined. But, like, mm-hmm. injuries are another part of this postseason and that, like, we have reached the tipping point. Um, I think we we have, and I think even probably behind closed doors, league officials would be like, "Yeah, we play too many games, and this has to this has to change. We have to figure something out." Um, but I guess it's more complicated to, for everybody to get on the same page about what the right number is or how right. we one hundred percent fix this. But like, mm-hmm. this cannot be the yearly tradition of like who is the healthiest team winning the NBA Finals. Like that is where we're at now where it's, it if you're not healthy, like Luca, another guy, like where he yeah. misses the first couple of games with the calf strain because of him playing the minutes that he played late uh, in that season. He shouldn't have probably been in the game at that point, but right. um, I don't know. I think it's just, it's insane that there is still this much, it, there's still this much of an issue in terms of injuries. And I just feel like we're all taking crazy pills. Where we're like, clearly this is all wrong. Can you imagine the NFL where it's like, three of the eight uh, final teams just did not have their quarterback for one round because <laughs> That's they're crazy. Yeah. You, you can't imagine it. Like that. it's, you can't, right? Yeah, no, I mean, it's a really interesting conversation because I, I want to say at one point I saw, and I'm, I'll probably get it wrong, but I saw somebody suggest you shorten the season, you do the in-season tournament with some sort of, you know, cash prize, which might not be that, enticing for someone like LeBron James, but it might Mm. be for someone like Austin Reeves or Mac McClung. Um, And so I don't know if that's enough for the in-season tournament because LeBron James is also the most powerful person in basketball. Mm. Um, But I do think that the NBA's biggest priority is revenue. They don't, I mean, to me, it's it's revenue over the way players feel about certain issues. Mm. Um, And so if they can find that middle ground of, hey, we will maximize revenue on this, continue to maximize on the play-in tournament and maximize on this in-season tournament. I could see why some people are for it, some people are against it, but I do think it could be a revenue boost and in that also find a way to shorten the season. But again, I just don't know how many games, what's the right number. Um, Because, yeah, the last, I don't even, I couldn't even put a, a number on it, but it just seems like year after year, unless you're healthy, you're, it's you don't really have a shot and so it's it's very tough it's very tough to watch it is and i just i don't want to feel like this where it's like do is this a series if injuries did not plague this round like i just yeah i don't like it especially come playoff time i want to see all these teams as close to full strength as humanly possible um it's just it's it's bad for the sport and we love the sport and we want it to be better and just i hope this offseason they make drastic decisions and things get changed for the better because um this cannot continue i don't think uh lauren gunn what can the good folks check out from you across mavs moneyball and everywhere else this week Yes, so you can find me on Twitter at the Lauren Gunn. Uh, I co-host the Gunshot Podcast with my brother Grant Gunn. All the links are through there. Um, so yeah, come chat with us. Why didn't you get the alliteration? Uh, why was it just your brother? What do you mean? Grant Gunn, and then your oh, Lauren Gunn. you know, that's a good question. My mom's so my mom's name is Lori. So mm. she's Lori. I'm Lauren, and okay. then my my brother. So my I don't know why, but the boys on on in my family. My dad or my grandpa's uh, name is Ken Jeffrey Gunn, 
and then hmm. my dad's name is Jeffrey Grant Gunn, and then my brother's name is Grant Garrett Gunn. His son will be Garrett something Gunn. Keeping oh, like, is that already predetermined? Mm-hmm. So it's like a whole thing. It's, like, a it's whole already set thing. in stone. But then like, with the girls, it's like everything just gets thrown out the window. <laughs> we just pick whatever, and so and like when I the name might change. It the name might change, and also yeah. like I'm not. I mean, I might keep the L, but like I'm definitely gonna. I'm definitely open to other names. So like it's not really. But the boy for whatever this for whatever reason the boys got to keep it. Huh. Yeah. Interesting. The more you know. So mm-hmm. we'll end on that. Lauren Gun Facts. The Gun Family Facts. <laughs> gun Family Facts. <laughs> oh my gosh. Lauren Gun, thank you so much. It was great talking to you and checking back in once again. Corbin, we miss you. And we'll talk to you next week. Mm-hmm. All right. That'll do it for this edition here on the Chase Thomas Podcast. Thank you again to Lauren Gunn and John Taylor for coming on this edition of the Chase Thomas Podcast. Uh, if you enjoyed listening to this show and you're not already, make sure you go ahead and hit that subscribe button so that you never miss a future episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast here on the Blue Wire Pod Network. Uh, also, if you're already a subscriber and you listen to this very program and you like it and you have not already done so, go ahead and hit that pause button right now. And then leave this show a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or however you get your podcast. Tell other people to check out the show, why you like the show, and why you think uh, they would like it too. So go do that. Uh, SportsRenaissanceMan.Subsec.com. Go subscribe there and check out all my great writing. I shouldn't say great in front of my own writing. Um, all my writing. That's what I'm going to say. And you make the determination whether or not it's great, good, bad, whatever. Uh, just go check it out at SportsRenaissanceMan.Substack.com. Type in your email so that you never miss an issue of all of my writing. That would be great. Uh, follow me on Twitter at Chase of underscore Thomas. Like the Facebook page at Facebook.com slash Chase Thomas Writer. And uh, new episode tomorrow, uh, per usual, Go Vols, uh, Hawks. Oh, God. Oh, oh, Hawks. Uh, but more on that later. And, uh, yeah, I'll go there. How'd I do? Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.